I know I smell like chicken, but can you stop eating my hand? I'm That's talking the to cold you. open right there. <laughs> Perfect. Welcome to Justin the Nick of Time. <laughs> a podcast about football. Yeah. Things. Um, all right. Block one. Scene one. Yes. Excellent. It has now oil, been. Oil in trouble. At the time of this recording, 26 days since the Nebraska Cornhuskers have lost a football game. <laughs> That's crazy. That's actually just an insane stat. Yeah. Like that. That's so cool. What is our record now? Are we above 500? We are three, three. and three. Oh, we are at 500. Yes. In the United States, we are three and two. <laughs> Undefeated in the greatest country in the world. That's actually not true. We're 0-1 in the greatest country in the world. Yeah, it's going to be so funny because Northwestern will likely legitimately finish 1-11 with that one being Nebraska and Ireland. Like, that's a real possibility? Yes, they have not won since. And uh I don't see the schedule getting easier for them. So. I, of the three teams, I remember seeing, uh, I know it's someone from the Action Network, I feel like it's Brett Murphy, uh tweeted that... Nebraska is like we we curse the people who beat us. Yes, because there's one win among those three teams this year. Mm-hmm. And since the and since we beat them, North Dakota three and one. So yeah. Oh wow, wow. So if we beat you, uh, you're, you're like a better football team than us. Yeah. And if we lose to you, you're likely a worse football team than us, which actually sets up very well. For the rest of this year, because by that logic, the only loss would be Iowa. Yeah. No, <laughs> no kidding. That is the best, most winnable game remaining on this team's schedule. And uh, it's the last game and it's got rivalry week magic. So <laughs> it's, it's not the only winnable game. It's the, like, I would argue I'm Iowa sorry. is the most it winnable the game most, right now. It's not the only. I'm sorry, we're getting feedback from our live feedback from our Patreon subscribers. Just in the nick of time is filmed in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> that studio audience is playing Skyrim. So and yelling at a cat. But no, I mean what what's the direction we we've talked broadly? Uh we opened with the stat. I think it's time to get into that Indiana game, which was it must be said. Miserable football. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, that's my segue for you to get to say this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. The third quarter was my favorite quarter all season because for over half of it, we had what I like to call anti-football, which is football where nothing happens and nothing fundamentally changes about the game. Nebraska had the ball around midfield. Punts it to Indiana deep in their own territory. Indiana, nothing. Punts it back to Nebraska around midfield. Nebraska, nothing. Back. Indiana, nothing. Back. Nothing. Back. Three cycles equals anti-football. And I believe we had that. Of three cycles of nothing. And I loved it. So. That's, that's a pretty incredible statistic. Um, I am obsessed with your theory of anti-football. The the positive to draw from this game is that we won it. Yes, it and was tied I in the fourth quarter, and one team scored in that quarter, and it was Nebraska. Let's ask clickbait question right now. Do we win this game if Scott Frost is still our coach? No. I fairly strongly agree. I Because, like, Mickey Joseph didn't reinvent the wheel. Uh, but he does know how to roll the wheel forward. <laughs> and that, I think, is all we needed to do in that football game. Like, in late in the fourth quarter, we talked about this before, clutch isn't really a thing, but having composure and talent is. We've always had the talent to close out late games. I don't think anyone has ever felt like we, like, yeah, okay, Ohio State, we're going to get played off the field. Everyone else, like maybe certain years of Penn State, they're going to be able to recruit better than us. They're going to develop players better than us. They have the talent gap. 
I don't think anyone thinks. And I mean, I've, I've been listening to like a fair bit of national coverage of this team this year. I don't think anyone thinks we're outgunned from a player perspective. No. Uh, I think that there is growing concern about Casey Thompson. Yeah. And we'll get to that. But other than, other than that little tiny, like, Oh shit, how good is he? What's going on here? And, and the offensive line sucks, right? Um, yes. the, that's what all my Casey criticisms will boil back down to is that, uh, <laughs> this is not an environment for him to succeed in. You know, I, yeah, and, and we, we might as well just jump there because honestly, there is not that much to say about this football game other than what a Rutgers game for that matter. Yeah. They, they uh, were both ugly wins, but let me tell you something. We play in the Big Ten. Ugly wins account for 80 to 90% of your actual wins. Yep. And also your losses, right? Like, we, yeah. we've watched a lot of teams sink to our level over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And Mickey Joseph did exactly what you're supposed to do. In Indiana and Rutgers. Indiana, I mean, you let them hang around for too much, but you eventually make them have to throw the ball and complete a pass. They yeah. couldn't. Nebraska wins. Rutgers, you don't mess up. You wait for Rutgers to Rutger. They did exactly that, and Nebraska won. That's exactly how you coach against those two teams. Scott Frost couldn't crack the Indiana nut. No. Uh Rutgers has to beat themselves. Right. And I think we saw that very clearly this weekend because we couldn't beat them. Like if you had put us on the 20 or let's, let's, let's take the actual situation we saw three times. You put us around the 50 yard line and we don't have a good enough team put together to just like, bam, we can put that away. You have to get momentum against Rutgers. And that's exactly what we do with that. They throw us a pick. We say, Casey, we need your one moment of the game that you always seem to have to be right now. And he does it. And bam, you know, everybody's happy. The lack of mistakes has been encouraging. And it's not that there haven't been any mistakes. There have oh. been screw-ups. but Penalties. Like, yeah, penalties, that's true. But that's also like, can I be real? We're all grading this team on a curve right now. And the curve is, please, 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 if you can win three more games, we'll all be so happy. And if you can win two, we're pretty pleased. Honestly, uh, I'm as pleased as I thought I could ever possibly be after the Georgia Southern game. Yeah. And that's that's where we're at now. Because after the Georgia Southern game, 1-11 looked like a very real possibility, even more so after the Oklahoma game. But Indiana and Rutgers, those showed a team that was not the worst in the Big Ten. We proved ourselves to not be the worst in the Big Ten. In fact, we are tied for the lead of the Big Ten West division currently. So this is not... You know, an unreasonable schedule ahead of us, even though we got the two easiest tests out of the way. You know, that is so hard to, like, even talk about right now without sounding like, oh, you know, we're going for hot takes. We're going for clicks. We're drinking the Kool-Aid. We're trying to hype people up, right? Like, yeah, th- this is very, uh, a 16 seed is up 10 to two on a one and everyone on Twitter is like upset alert. And then they lose by like 30, you know? Yeah. And that's like, let's be real. I don't expect us to come through. Like, I don't, I think it's very possible for us to go like literally. Like, I think seven and five is still on the table, which I would not have said after Georgia Southern, but that is how much we've improved. And the fact that that got back on the table speaks to a few things really loudly. One, it speaks to the deficit having Scott Frost as your head coach 
is. I genuinely, I think, like, if you had asked me right after we, right after we fired him, does Scott Frost ever get another head coaching job? I would have said maybe. I think if any school is doing any amount of reading, which it seems like maybe we didn't do when we hired him, but if you're checking any of the tape, if you're, if you're looking at the statistics, if you're looking even just at like, how does this team feel, right? Let's, if you, if you're playing football with your gut, I think you gotta ask yourself, like, damn man, um, they look so much better without him. Yeah. And it, it just instant. You give the Oklahoma game that hiccup because really Mickey doesn't have a full week after that to change anything. And what's, what's crazy too is we heard for literal years before he was gone how much his influence had gone down. Mm -hmm. So like how much was he screwing up? And one thing I will also add, like after the Oklahoma game, that's when Shenander got got and the defense improved by leaps and bounds. Like this defense is (laughs) legitimately up to par with, the Big Ten Conference, which would have been unthinkable after the Georgia Southern and Oklahoma games. So not only Frost, but Frost's boys were uh, actively a detriment to this program. Yeah, I mean, I I have to be as honest as I possibly can. What's our record if we fired Scott last spring? And just promoted Mickey from within. Is that yeah, what we're assuming let, here? Let's say that because I think that like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to steal a stat. My favorite stat in all of sports from baseball wins above replacement. Let's take just like your average, just zero wins above replacement head coach. Okay. And plug him in. at okay. Neutralize all of that. Right. Assume that there will be some mistakes. Think who's a zero wins above replacement head coach. That's what I'm trying to think right now. Who's a funny name we can plug in here? Literally anyone who's ever coached at Illinois. Brett Bielema. Brett Bielema is, that's a, that's a good take. Brett yeah. Bielema, zero wins above replacement head coach. Coach of number 24, Illinois. Uh. <laughs> But, like, he's put together a good side, right? But, like, within games, I don't think Brett Bielema's making decisions and calls that win or lose games. He's not making that many mistakes. But he's not, like, elevating that. He's not, like, you know, an offensive or defensive mastermind. (laughs) No. Bert is not a mastermind. He's a damn solid uh, trenches coach. He's not a mastermind who's gonna scheme his way to win a game. He's gonna, he's a lunch pail type coach of, we're gonna hit you hard and hope it works. If ever there was, if, if there's still any Hawkeye fans that still listen to this, this podcast, uh, I, I apologize for shitting on you even more here, but I think that before hiring his son, Kirk Ferentz was a zero wins above replacement head coach. He is not doing anything that is going to, like, put you over the top, but he just runs the machine. After hiring his son, he's, like, a, a minus eight wins kind of coach. Like, I am going to do something I hate to do. I'm going to give Kirk Ferentz a bit more credit than that. Like, I was been a pretty well-functioning machine for a while now. Like, but, but that's the argument I'm making. All he does is run the machine. And yeah. recruit well and set up a good machine. But I think he's doing it at Iowa more than what should be reasonably done at Iowa. That's true. That's Given probably the resources true. of that program. I, I think we've gotten a little too into the weeds here as well. Like, okay, let's say we, we just like promote Mickey. Yeah. Who I think we're all just saying like, this is a steady hand at the till right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Mickey, yeah, let's say he's the coach all year. I'd say Northwestern's a win by sole virtue if he would not onside kick it. I think Georgia Southern's a win just because we would not have Shenander's defense with it as well. 
And I, Oklahoma's very, this is the worst Oklahoma team of our lives. Oklahoma's closer, but it's not a win. I don't think we win because the bottom is now with Oklahoma. It wasn't there. Oklahoma has gotten worse every week. I think if Mickey played Oklahoma now or in two weeks, maybe. Because that team is unmotivated and dead, and it is a non-zero chance Brent Venables does not survive his first season. But where we got Oklahoma, I still say they beat us, and I don't think Mickey was ready or is ready yet for that big of a win. But I think five-win team, Mickey all year. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, okay, let me ask you a question now. Bo Pelini is coach. What's the, what's the record at the end of the season? This is going to shock anyone who knows anything about Bo Pelini. But I'm going nine and three. I see. I think it's better than that. I think this is the rare year where everyone else is. We definitely win the West this year. Like I, I will post if you think that's a bad take, you can think all of my takes are bad takes after that because like I just genuinely like has anyone has anyone been watching the Big Ten West this year? I don't blame you if you don't. But this whole side of the conference sucks. And here's the other thing. Nine and three at this point might be enough to win the West. I I agree with how the season has shaked out that he would win the West. Uh but I think um probably doesn't get Oklahoma. His record in marquee non conference games was unexceptional. So <laughs> if we're going by historical trends, I don't think he gets that. This is a very hot take, but after one game against a bad opponent, but I like what interim Jim Leonard's done with Wisconsin. You know, I think, yeah. I think it could be like a Frost Mickey situation where you just plug in some guy and he won't screw it up and get more out of that team. So I, I watch out for second half Wisconsin is all I'm saying. No, I totally agree. I think that they're probably like, they're yeah. my pick to best. Yeah, I just don't think they can dig themselves out of that hole, though, they got in earlier, because Illinois owns the tiebreaker. And if Illinois just doesn't cough up, I think they win the West. Like, Illinois has to lose games they really shouldn't, which would include, like, Nebraska in there, in order for them to miss the West, because they've got wins against their tougher opponents out of the way. That Indiana loss is brutal. But let, let me look at Illinois' schedule real quick. Well, so, yeah, that, I'm looking at ours right now. And let's, let's just, let's talk about the Big Ten West picture for a minute. I'm also going to pull up the standings. Yeah, because Illinois got Wisconsin and Iowa out of the way. But I don't think Iowa's that tough. Well, I don't either, but I was a team that can win an ugly Big Ten game. Like, You know, that game was pretty touch and go. Like, if Illinois is not down by contact, Iowa wins that game on a fumble return touchdown. So, Minnesota, unimpressive. Nebraska is us. Michigan State, terrible. Purdue tries to lose. Michigan, yeah, that's a loss. Northwestern, terrible. So, (laughs) I think with that two-game advantage... It's Illinois to lose. Yeah, I there's a that's the thing that like a lot of people are saying we are in the driver's seat, and I don't think we're in the driver's seat. No. We control our like I'm, I'm gonna split hairs here. We control our own destiny, but we're not in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. We're, I I still think it's possible for Wisconsin to pull themselves out of the hole that they're in. I agree. Um, I think a lot of that comes comes down to what happens when they run into us. Because honestly, like, let's look at the rest of Wisconsin's schedule right now. Most of the West is still on Wisconsin's schedule. Yeah. So they can get direct wins out of a direct win over Purdue and a direct win over us. And Michigan Minnesota State as a crossover opponent is huge, too. I think they win that game. I agree. Maryland, I have no idea what to make of them yet this year. They've 
survived the September Maryland allegations pretty well. So maybe there's a okay. Illinois also plays Michigan State though. Yeah. So well, they. I, I think both yeah. Wisconsin and Illinois will beat them. I don't. I agree. Um, I could see a world in which. All right, if we beat number twenty-four Illinois, um, that puts us. I think because we have what Purdue and Illinois in the next two weeks. I believe so. Yes, it's uh at Purdue by week. Huge, because Scott Frost never won after a bye week. Mickey is 1-0 after bye weeks. Then Illinois at home. Huge. Again, I think maybe a road game against Indiana might not go our way as much. Like, I don't think Indiana goes 2-15 of 15 on third down if they're not pay- playing in front of 90,000. I agree. If we can win our next two games, then we're then in, the you're in the driver's seat. What do I think the odds of us doing that are? Less than 50%? Oh, I'd say it's pretty low because of Purdue. But Purdue, I brushed them off earlier as a team that is not very clutch and that tries its darndest to lose late in games. But that is still a far better offense than what Rutgers and Indiana were bringing to the table on the road and a consistently solid and improving team over the past few years. And not to mention a 13-point favorite in Vegas, who, you know, they're not always right, but they know enough to where 13 points shows you there's a clear advantage of one team over the other. Like, I agree, but it's not insurmountable. No. Because they get they get things wrong by a touchdown all the time. And um if if it's a, if it's truly sitting at a seven point, then you know. That's it's just one the, touchdown twice. Here's the other that wow. Um here's here's the thing. I do think this team improves under Mickey Joseph. And so after the Indiana game, was I like, man, I don't know, Rutgers on the road. Do I feel good about Rutgers on the Well, I mean, after Oklahoma, I sat there and I thought there were things we got better at, but we still got killed. But Indiana's not as good. It's at home. We have a bye week. Do I think we'll be we'll be better? And I said, let's see. And then we were. And then after Rutgers, or after Indiana, you're like, okay, Rutgers is on the road. Rutgers is mid as hell. They still have Noah friggin' Vedral, which is just comedic at this point, right? Yeah, he was in college when I was in high school, and I am now graduated, and he is still in college. <laughs> yeah. So, um... <laughs> you know, I just think like I'm I'm tired of trying to guess, if that makes sense. I, I this that. is why we play the games. Do I think Purdue will win? Yeah, I do. Uh I think Illinois is actually the more winnable of those two games. I agree just because of Purdue's high powered offense attack. I think the slugfest game which Illinois and uh, Iowa, maybe even Wisconsin, will bring to the table against Nebraska, much more suit what I've seen this team's strengths to be, provided the defense continues its current trajectory. Because, you know, we're going to talk about it. I don't trust Casey Thompson under this O-line in the shootout. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Uh... Yeah, let's circle back to that. I think Casey is in a sort of nightmare hell for himself, because this is very much what he had under Texas and very much what Adrian had under Nebraska, which is not a good place to be in a quarterback where a he's dinged up. They've said as much in press conferences, you know, like Adrian last year, dinged up battle line has one deep threat who wears number three, who makes one play a game. <laughs> and that's, that's what he's got as far as receivers go. Yeah, Marcus um, Washington, solid number two. You know, he'll make three to four catches a game. After that, it looks pretty bleak. Vokalek is pretty solid, but nothing to write home about. Alante Brown is still mostly potential. Omar Manning, question mark, as always. 
Isaiah Garcia Castaneda, lol, he's gone now. Tommy yeah. Hill, converted defensive back, question mark. But yeah, it really looks like Adrian Martinez and Casey Thompson of last year have merged into one player. Yeah. That's the other thing that I think is worth talking about. The O-line hasn't improved. Everyone around them has has gotten better. What the hell is going on with this O-line core? Yeah. Are they just are they just not talented? Probably. Like <laughs> I think that's the the assumption you have to draw right now is like this is their peak. Oh, I wouldn't say peak. I I, I think the coaching is not getting the most it can out of these guys, as shown by the mountain of penalties. But I just don't think that this is a line that even at full strength is good enough to uh, succeed offensively in the Big Ten. Yeah, I agree. The other thing is when you have a shitty O-line, Casey's going to get worse as time goes on. Yep, saw that at Texas last year. Yep. He's going to keep getting dinged up. He's going to make worse decisions because he doesn't want to get hurt. It's it's not even, do I think Casey Thompson is a good quarterback? I do, right? Uh, but it's a stimulus response thing when your line's falling apart, when you're going to get tackled every single play, when your job as a quarterback is not to take hits. Of course you're going to start playing hot potato. And of course that's going to lead to interceptions. I don't care how good your decision making is. I don't care how good your reads are. You put any good quarterback, save the immortals, right? Save like the Brady's and Breeze and Rogers of the world. I don't even think these guys exist within college. I think you put enough pressure on any college quarterback. Uh, I, I think college is a different cloth. It's like the Cam Newton, the Johnny Manziel, the guy who can run around for hours in the backfield, and then find a receiver who accidentally got open. The the only other exception that came to my mind as I was saying that is an Andrew Luck type, which we've only ever seen one of. Yeah, a guy who's a big old boy who's bigger and stronger than everyone else and is, at the quarterback <laughs> position. And is actively looking to hit and get hit at the quarterback position. Yeah. Which, dude, if Andrew Luck's career teaches us anything, we shouldn't have that. But like that's a bad thing. Don't 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 allow a quarterback to think that way. Um in, in case this doesn't work out for a transition, I will say one here. I don't have Zoom Premium anymore. I don't even know if Zoom Premium was a thing when we first recorded over Zoom, but uh meeting ended, started a new one. Don't quite remember where we were, so we're gonna wing it. Uh yeah. Uh the Big Ten West is the Big Ten best, and everyone in it is having fun and a good time, including Nebraska, who is tied for the lead, with the toughest part of that division remaining. But it's still kind of winnable, because, like, Purdue's good, but they're not scary good. Yeah, they're favored by 13, but would Purdue or Nebraska be floored if Nebraska pulled that off? I don't think so, because Purdue does have tendencies to give its opponents opportunities, which Nebraska under Mickey Joseph has shown they will take what you give them some of the time. So, you know, I think I think Purdue will end up being the defining game for how seriously do we have to take Nebraska under Mickey Joseph. Because if you can beat Purdue, you can win the Big Ten West. If you lose to Purdue, but it's a close game, bounce here or there, maybe if Purdue is the better team, you're done. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. And I think, um, yeah, is there really much more to say? I mean, we, we actually covered most of what I think we needed to get through on the first half of the pod. Yes. Uh, so, what's your favorite uh, amusement park ride, Justin? Ooh. I'd, it would have to be a, a form of roller coasters. Like pipes. Okay, like roller coasters? Yes. Well, mine is also roller coasters, but another amusement park ride is the carousel. Yeah. My favorite carousel is the one at Worlds of Fun, but my second favorite carousel is the coaching carousel. 
seamless, seamless transition. Boom. Yeah. So let's let's talk about our second favorite carousel. Matt Rule no longer coaches the Carolina Panthers. My my uh, beautiful boy who was number one in my initial Scott Frost inspired here's who I want list is now number two because Lance Leipold at Kansas has done more than I ever expected him to, sooner than I ever expected him to. And I've watched people who've done film dives into his offense. Lance Leipold is a maniac. That man is insane. He'll he'll run like an option concept that has like a tight end, a wide receiver in motion, five different reads on a third and long and convert it. This man is not of this earth when it comes to football theory. And I would love to have that person in the driver's seat here. So he's my new number one. But Matt Rule is a very close second. Yeah. Lance uh, Leipold is the most fun option. Uh, I don't, we'll, we'll get into the best option, but I will not dispute that Lance Leipold runs a crazy offense, clearly can recruit to undesirable parts of the country. Uh, as Kansas is not as good a school and arguably a less desirable part of the country, or at the very least is an equally desirable part of the country or equally undesirable, in fact. But I think the uh, the other thing we have to immediately contend with is Mickey Joseph. Yes. I'll, I'll get get out in front of Mickey Joseph before I go to Matt Rule. Couple things. These last two weeks have felt good. This team is far better off than it was at the start of the year, thanks in large part to Mickey Joseph and what he has done in that head coach position so far. He is not remotely on my radar for permanent coach unless he beats Purdue. Unless he gets this team to a bowl game and with an outside chance at winning the Big Ten West. For a couple of reasons. One, he's likely going to stay on staff with whoever we hire next. So I like to keep him around. And I don't think head coach is necessarily the only position he would want to do that in. And I don't anticipate him doing so good in this role that another team will want him as head coach if we don't hire him. I think if he's good enough to be a head coach, it will be for us, not for someone else. I think he sticks around with whoever we hire. So I don't have any rush to make him head coach. I need him to blow me away for him to move up over proven options, you know? Yeah, this is, this is the correct take. And I'm, I realize it is rather like unpopular right now. I know that's the second thing I was going to say. I don't get it. I get that this feels good. Did we learn nothing from Scott Frost? That era? Did we learn nothing? Of a, oh, I just like him. I think his heads, I, he knows the program. He's like, he's our guy. Like all this shit you're saying, you said about the guy who was the worst coach in program history. I like what I've seen from Mickey so far. He's done what you're supposed to do against Indiana and Rutgers. I think a lot of coaches can be Indiana and Rutgers. I don't get the rush to seat him. As head coach right now, what I especially don't get is when presented with alternatives, the the large portion of the fan base that when an alternative is being brought up says that is currently disrespectful to Mickey, who is auditioning for the job currently. Yo, that's crazy. That's, that makes me angry. That's the kind of yuckle bullshit I can't deal with. Yeah. Like, what kind of – dude, these are some of the most – I don't care how much you like Mickey Joseph – these are some of the most highly competitive, highly sought after jobs in any field in the country. Assistant coaching jobs are competitive, right? We have full conversations while people are still in their jobs that they officially have. When they have 10 year contracts, we're talking about, damn, if AM puts up the money, who might replace Jimbo Fisher? The idea that it's disrespectful to comment on whether or not Mickey Joseph is the right option. Dude, 
ask it like ask yourself if you think it is like respectful to analyze sports at that point. Yeah. What kind of like, dude? What do you justify when you're that stupid about this? I know. I, it like I said, we've learned nothing from Scott Frost. If Mickey Joseph played at LSU his for his college career, he does not have this amount of hype behind him right now. We are a lot more normal about this. I'd like a hire that makes the fan base more normal. And uh, the thing that drives me mad to that, to your thing of a, uh, to the point where you get about the disrespectful nature, I, I can at least see an outside view of a, uh, he's here to audition for the job. Let's make sure he's not the guy before we check our other boxes. Cause if we have a bird in the hand, why look in the bush? You know, the thing I don't get at all is when presented with another alternative, a Campbell, a Rule, Bronco Mendenhall, Leipold, the amount of people who have said, if it's him or Mickey, give me Mickey. What has he done to earn that decision in that choice when compared to Power 5 coaches with multiple winning seasons under their belt? This man is 2-1. and one. His best win is 2022 Rutgers. You want to harp on Matt Rule's 1-10 record against ranked teams? Mickey Joseph got outclassed by the worst Oklahoma team we will see for quite some time. I know that was his first week, short week, impossible task. But you're not giving grace to the other coaches and what they had to inherit when you bring up stuff like overall record. The thing that makes me most angry is any coach who took over a struggling program and has got them to a consistently winning level, their overall record doesn't look great. But this fan base, when they're brought up, so we're going to hire Mike Riley again? That is the laziest take I have ever heard. Riley was obviously over the hill with his best days behind him as head coach. And he has never had the five winning seasons that Matt Campbell is currently on at Iowa State. <laughs> or what Matt Rule did with Baylor, which is 11-1 and one regular season. Riley never won more than nine games in a season. So it is such a lazy take and such a bad take to say that, A, Mickey Joseph is currently a better option than the field, and that all the field is Mike Riley. You're not getting a coach without obvious red flags in the resume because those coaches aren't going to come to Nebraska from the job that they have because they have been a solid Power 5 coach for years. You're not getting a finished product. That's why these guys are available to hire for a big-time college football job, which Nebraska still is, because we are in one of the two conferences that isn't going anywhere. Yep. I got I got nothing else. Like, Matt Rule should be... We've had conversations about coaching before, so I don't think we need to, like, rehash those. I do think Matt Rule should be target number one. But here's the other thing, and this is maybe the only other caveat I'll put on what we were just talking about. Trev Alberts does not care what Jim from Grand Island thinks. Not to pick on anyone named Jim from Grand Island, not to pick on the lovely city of Grand Island, right? But, like, let's think of the most annoying call-in guest you've ever heard on a talk radio Husker show. Trev Alberts doesn't care. Even a smart one, Trev Alberts doesn't care. Because Trev Alberts is gathering more information than any of us are going to have. He literally has a talent search, like a conventional talent search firm helping him do this, which I think is brilliant. Because college football does not have, like, strange satanic forces that act upon it that would make it so that that doesn't work, you know? Long story short, it's the same as any other hiring process, right? So getting the same people who do that in to help you is very, very smart. And something that I think would have been massively frowned upon and yelled about under any other athletic director, but also... Trev Alberts just so clearly isn't taking Nebraska's shit. 
like the fan base, he doesn't he doesn't care. And that's the only reason. If we still had Bill Moose, I would be panicking. If we still had Eichhorst, I would be panicking. And like I think that coaches have a prove to me you are good and that I will trust you. Whereas athletic directors, kind of the nature of that job is the opposite to me. I haven't seen Trev put a foot wrong yet. Everything that he's done has kind of borne out to be smart. You could make the argument that we should have fired Scott at the end of last year and we would be in a better spot. But given the information that we had at that time, I still think it's a defensible position. And also, like, he did everything he could at that time to pave the way to get Scott out if what we thought was going to happen happened, and it did. Uh, he ends up not making it to the buyout, right? Yeah, but money is fake, so. <laughs> well, yeah, that's another thing we should talk about more is that truly for Husker football, money's fake. Yeah, that's the big hang-up, I think, with Matt Rule is that uh, he's getting $40 million not to coach the Panthers, so you're going to have to beat that so he doesn't coach here for free, which we would, but, like, Matt Rule can rest on his laurels, and if he wants an A&M, a shot at A&M or Oklahoma, he can certainly wait and bide his time until those jobs likely become available, because I don't see Jimbo or Brent getting anywhere there with what I've seen so far from him. The other That's thing- the one big hang-up. He but- paid full price to coach college football, or he can't get paid over a certain amount to coach college football. He can get paid full money to commentate. Yeah. And I think if I'm Matt Rule, that's what I do. Why go back to college now? Yeah. Nebraska would have to offer him a big number and truly convince him that a rebuild one year after a very bad NFL tenure is worth his time. So, you know, I, that's kind of why I'm s- slightly lower on rule, but I, at the very least, you should call him Gage's interest because coaches are weird. They're crazy. It's, you know, like a drug for them. They can't get away from it for too long. They're going to want to get back in. And if there's a desire for it, I think Nebraska and Matt Rule would have some mutual interest if he so desires to come back down to college. I think that this would be a very good spot for him to make that yeah. choice to go down here because I think Wisconsin got their guy already. I think Auburn is a worse job than us, not from a resources standpoint, but from an expectation standpoint, which is – they- An Auburn-type guy, I, you got to realize he was linebacker at Penn State in the Big Ten getting the chance – to win a Big Ten championship means more than more to him than getting a chance to compete for the SEC. Mm-hmm. And stylistically, as a dude, I think he – now, you could make the counter-argument that Nebraska itself doesn't fit in the Big Ten. But I think in his mind, being a misfit in the Big Ten is probably – and trying to make them a more Big Ten-style school, which I ultimately think is what he's going to do. Because he's going to come in and say the exact – he's going to say, we are going to adapt to the Big Ten now. We're yes. finally going to admit that we're a Big Ten school and we're going to play like one. Big part of the problem in Carolina, I would argue, is it's Carolina. But, the like, another part of the problem is he was not set up to do anything. But I am going to conform to the style. I'm not going to rewrite anything, which when you don't have the players in the NFL, that's not going to work. Yeah. His bosses at Carolina did him no favors and hand him a roster. His best quarterback is was either Cam Newton post every surgery you could possibly have, the washed up remains of Baker Mayfield, or Sam Darnold. Yep. You know? And also just his general coaching vibe of a we're gonna build a culture. I'm gonna lift up these people as men. Uh these are already grown men in the NFL. Like, that doesn't work the same there as it does down here, you know? I think that that is a pretty critical difference between, like, and we've seen this time and time again, is you need something in college football between a preacher and a therapist and a strategic mastermind and 
uh, a politician and all of these things. In the NFL, you need a CEO. Chief football operations, right? Like, that's... Um, that's that's what you need there. This is a whole different beast. It's one that Matt Rule has proved he can do more than anyone else on the list, right? You can talk to me all you want about Bronco Mendenhall, and I'm still higher on Matt Rule. No, I'm higher on Rule than Mendenhall, too. My thing with Mendenhall was get-ability. I, I see him as yeah, a... Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't think Rule is gettable. If we can, yeah, I mean, then I think we're we're going to build a program that can perennially compete for the West which ultimately is all that we can ask. If you are asking for more than competing for the West, because at this point, we need Ohio State, we need Penn State to slip. We're not going to get to that level until they vacate the ability to build. Because there's only so much political capital in every conference. There's like, You can't have, like, even in the SEC, right? What makes it really hard for a, you know, Tennessee. Well, the fact that Alabama and Georgia are right around the corner, are recruiting right around the corner, and make it hard to build to the point that Tennessee has gotten to, right? What makes it hard for an Auburn? And, yeah, you're going to have those fluke years, and I think that's all the Huskers can really ever hope for again. Is And, like, I'm not talking down fluke years, LSU was the most beautiful fluke that ever happened a few years ago, and they rode it all the way to the national championship, right? Yeah. That was not a great coaching staff. That was a few really good players with a really good plan and a year where everybody else slipped. Yep. And that's, I think the weird thing is, that's where we could be right now if we kept Polini. I don't know. I think so. I don't think. I, Do you buy that Ed Orgeron is a better coach than Bo Pelini? Yes. Wow. I that's a hot take. I that's mean, a spicy little take. Look at what Pelini did at Youngstown. An entire level beneath. That's true. One good season. Once he made the national championship game his second year, never sniffed long playoff success. So you're asking me, would I rather take a coach? who has won a national championship or a coach whose peak was second place in the FCS. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I also think you have to think about how much Bo Pelini cared about that job at the end of the day. Yeah, true. But then again, like this is a point Nebraska fans have made. If he was truly, you know, this miracle worker who got the most out of Nebraska, which could have possibly been gotten, which I think there is some truth to that as to, him getting us close to our peak as a program in the modern age. Why has no nobody hired him since? He he was back at the Power 5 level for one year as LSU's defensive coordinator. Bad job. Gone the next. No one's looked at him since. What I will say, though, is there is some truth to what you're saying. Of a, you wait for a fluke here, maybe it's there. I don't see Pliny as the guy who takes that next step, given his record in and performance in games anytime that was available. Like a Big Ten championship game against the 7-5 and five Wisconsin, because both Ohio State and Penn State were dealing with NCAA sanctions. Yeah. That was the fluke year. That was the year you had Martinez, Abdullah, Kenny Bell, Jamal Turner. Good defense. That was the fluke year. And we saw him fumble the bag in the fluke year. That's true. But... Here's a question I will ask. If a, that is truly our peak is get a solid program together, you know, seven to nine wins each year. You're consistently making bowls or even Bo Pelini, nine and four every year with the occasional potential for a fluke year. If we end up with a nicer coach and that's his peak, will we look a gift horse in the mouth and fire the guy if he doesn't perform? A second time, are we going to do that again? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think so too. Given just, I know that as you said, the fan base does not match what the administration thinks. But the fan base is, I think, after years of being not just 
mediocre but outright bad is now thinking that they are too good for some proven coaches? Oh, it's it's disgusting, but it is probably the majority of the fan base's opinion. The fact that Lance Leipold has ever touched Kansas, it doesn't matter. Because, like, here's the other thing. Kansas lost to CCU. It probably rode the undefeated early Kansas wave to a couple of wins that it maybe didn't deserve. It's probably going to fall off. Oh, I don't see them finishing, like, with only one loss or with, you know, 10 wins. But I think seven to nine at Kansas, which will they will likely get, that's a minor miracle given the state that program was in. Yeah, and the, how quickly that happened also. Yeah. I absolutely agree. So that's my thing. And uh, the fact that uh, just after two wins – most of the fan base thinks that they've got the guy already is like, ugh, makes me think that this is not a group who will see what can, what can rationally be expected of Nebraska as the case scenario. There's a difference between hoping Mickey performs well enough to get the job and thinking he is currently the best person for the job. And thankfully, I think the Purdue game will tell us more about what we know about this current situation of things. Because this could very well just be a three-week, you know, fever dream. But I will say about this state of Mickey mania, thank God they're off the urban train. I have not seen anything about that man since Mickey beat Indiana. Dude, stupid is as stupid does. And I think that these are the same people who are on the urban train. I think so, too. Um, I, I genuinely wish that there was a way to like excise this tumor from Nebraska because it like people will tell you it does not influence the on-field product and I will tell you that it influences the boosters because some of these people are the boosters hello Larry the cable guy I want to make this like an officially anti-Larry the cable guy podcast right like that is the kind of guy who gives a lot of money to the university for the purposes of the athletic department, holds a lot of sway over other boosters as well, because he's a funny, charming, affable dumbass. What else do you want? Like, dude, these are the people who, at the end of the day, hold, like, the dark machinations of college football. Yeah. Not just here, but everywhere. But... Maybe especially here. So that is, I mean, do I don't know that there's anything else to say about coaching right now. No, I, I think we've covered the bases of, I, I just, I think this is good because I want us to take a snapshot of this moment in Nebraska history because if they lose to Purdue, especially if they lose by the amount Vegas thinks they will lose, uh, Mickey Mania will not reach this height ever again. So I, I just want to take this snapshot of this two-week period where it's Mickey Joseph or bust for the job, according to, I would say, the majority of the fan base. Yeah, I think if five wins, do you think we should keep Mickey? And I say no. we have the podcast on this this little rapid-fire thing. Five, six? Six, maybe. Seven? Yes. Seven, if we get to seven and five, I would be okay with Mickey Joseph getting that permanent job. I want a one-year contract. Yeah. And I will say, go seven and five, you have to not, that one of those wins has to be Iowa, and you have to kill them. You can't squeak out a win against Iowa. This is what, you know, my side team Washington State did last year. Interim, won a couple of, you know, Conference squeakers boat raced their rival, just ran them off their own home field. That felt so good for a team that I have, you know, four years of caring about more so than I do most programs. If <laughs> Nebraska was able to like 49 to three Iowa, boom, give it to them. But I still want a short contract. And oh, the other, the I other. Agree. 
to happen is Leipold can't be available, Campbell can't be available, and Rule can't be available. Uh, I'd say if he gets to seven and five, I would take that over over, over Campbell, over Campbell, because Campbell's peak has been like nine at Iowa State. He's typically a seven and five coach, albeit with the school with way less resources than us. But if Mickey gets this team to seven and five with two winnable games in the rearview mirror that he would have likely won if he's good enough to get this team to seven and five, that shows to me, I know this man can win seven to nine games consistently in the Big Ten West. Here's here's the other thing. I don't know that about Matt Campbell since he's never coached in the Big Ten. So that would show to me that Mickey has is already executing what I believe Matt Campbell's ceiling to be here. Here's the other thing I want to point out. If you don't hire Mickey, do everything in your power to retain Mickey. I don't care what job you have to give him. I don't care if it's associate head coach. I don't care if it's right back where he was at wide receivers coach where he seemed happy for a long time. Although I don't know that I feel great about where our receivers are at right now. So that's another question. But I also think that might be an overall thing that just bled through to the receivers rather than. But again, I think that the reason we are enchanted with Mickey Joseph is because he's not as bad, not because he's good. And letting, I think letting the perfect be the enemy of the good is actually the strat for Nebraska right now. Because here's the other thing. We know this fan base won't accept nine and three over. If you have a perfect nine and three record, in your first six seasons in Nebraska every year, if that's what you average out to. Well, I okay, you can average out to that, but if you never do better than that, you're gone. We just, we know it to be true. Yeah, I, I, I will say that if the coach, you know, does not have, does not publicly dare the athletic director to fire him after those said three losses, and if those said three losses are at least most of the time within 17 points, which was at the low end of Bo's performance in those games, I think we might keep him a bit longer than we did Bo. I'm pretty decently sure. Fair enough. All right. I We talked about doing F1. I think we should save that till the end of the season. Oh, wait. Oh, sh- yeah, I guess you can win before the season's over. So, yeah, the season is over, but we could uh, – I'm good either way. Also, we have, like, four minutes left on the call, so if you want me to just rapid-fire F1 update on this one thing that happened this weekend, I can do that. Yeah, okay, we have four minutes and 30 seconds left. Go as fast as I you can. all of that time. Uh, so, here's the thing. Do you remember when Moonlight won the Oscar, but they said La La Land because they yes. mixed up? Envelopes. This is stupider than that. Prepare yeah. yourself for a level of stupid in winning an award that surpasses this. So we had an F1 race this weekend in Suzuka, which is a city in Japan, which has a track, which we call Suzuka, because it's in the city of Suzuka. There are two critical things that happened this weekend that make the FIA, the Federación Internacional Automobile, uh, look really goddamn stupid. Uh, the first is that in 2014, at this particular track, there was a um, caution flag and then the cars were still going around the track and then they put a giant crane in the middle of the track like a literal tractor that just drove out just like right next to the track right uh and then a guy hit it and he died and his name was Jules Bianchi rest in peace 2014 absolute legend uh his literal friend and like mentee Pierre Gasly, who used to race at Red Bull and is now at AlphaTauri, he almost hit a tractor in the exact same position at the exact same track this weekend. After this, because it was raining too hard, they red flagged the race for like two hours. And Twitter goes insane. Pierre Gasly literally storms into the FIA's tent and starts screaming at the race director. I could have died. I could have killed myself on that truck. What the hell were you thinking? This is exactly how someone who was close to me died. 
And the race director says, hey, actually, we look back at the tape. We think you were going a little bit too fast the corner before that. So this is all actually your fault. Here's a penalty. The FIA is not investigating why it was out on the track. The FIA is not investigating what went wrong. They are only saying that Pierre was going too fast. And he was, but the safety car had just been called. So, anyway, the other thing that happened that makes the FIA look stupid is the FIA has, like, how do you put this? It's not a regulation. It's, like, basically a suggestion that says, like, when you run a certain amount of a race, you you award this many points. So if it's from, like, 20 to – or two laps to 25% and 25 – or 50% to 75 and then 75 – five and above. Well, we didn't have enough time to get the entire race in, so we got most of the race in. We thought that we were only going to have partial points. Then there was a conversation that happened with the stewards. It seemed like Max Verstappen was going to be one, have less than one point, uh, to, uh, need one more point to win. He, they ended up getting full race distance. Max Verstappen won and didn't realize it until right before he walked on the podium. (laughs) Was that just a sort of like last year? Eh, we'll give it to the kid type of thing. No, this was just a legitimately, like, no one knows what's going on. Oh, so, we so have this, less is, this is not like, let's make it a show. This was like a, I don't know, let's pick something. Yep. The The thing that they think is the FIA would have had to pay some people back if they didn't consider it a full race. Oh. And they would have the money. Contract law. How yep. all the greats win. <laughs> anyway, the Zoom is almost over. Have a good one, Justin. Thank you.